I'm on. Well, great. Well, um, I'm very excited to be here. He's going to get my mic a little bit better, I think. But um, so uh, we've been doing this series of uh, fresh starts. And how many people saw some of fresh starts or heard some of fresh starts? Okay, that Kevin started. So I want to encourage you to go back through some of the teachings with Roberts when he was here and he was teaching on prayer. And he was also teaching on intercessory um, and the start of a year of, of getting in the word and really letting it permeate you. And that teaching really uh, touched me in a powerful way. I was really moved by that. There's something about being reminded with the original things that we forgot to do. And um, reading our Bible, praying, uh, getting into intercessory, learning to pray for other people, not just for ourselves, uh, learning how to pray the word of God, learning how to intercede, learning how to bring breakthrough into your life, learning what dominion, what authority is, and what the life, uh, victorious life of a believer is supposed to look like. And so um, I was really blessed by that. And I was also blessed whenever Kevin teaches on uh, a new start in your life, because if there's anybody that can take it on the chin and keep going, that's my husband. And so he can almost preach those messages with his eyes closed because he's so effective in understanding hard circumstances and hardship and the perseverance through those difficult places. One of his favorite words that he uses, Greek word, is hypomeno, which is uh, perseverance, uh, and that's movement under pain. So he always preaches a great message. So I'm excited. My message is going to be fresh starts and finishing well because this is a close, I believe, of the uh, series. Um, something that the Lord's really been dealing with me is on the prayer and getting back into my words, starting to really study, um, just pulling things apart. And then also the Lord was dealing with me on the series today or the teaching today is um, finishing well. So back in September, Kevin was on a series and I had put together a message and it was right around before Christmas. And so I want to share some of the things that, um, that I... Uh, that I found out. I love, I bought a uh, narrative Bible and uh, it's in chronological order. Does, has anyone ever read the chronological Bible? It was my first time doing it. It is a phenomenal way to read the Bible because everything that you read sometimes is out of order, but you, when you read it in chronological order, it begins to unfold and you start to really understand what was going on in the time when Jesus was saying, something and why he was saying it, who he was saying it to, and what happened next, and what happened before, and all that stuff. And so it just begins to totally unfold the scripture to you. And so I want to talk to you about finishing well. So Jesus is about to get ready to depart. Now, Jesus has been talking to his disciples constantly. And uh, in one of the scriptures I'm going to read to you, he, it's the third time, and he's telling them that he's leaving. And Jesus, this is the period right before Easter, right before, you know, well, what we call Easter, but Passover, and uh, Jesus riding into uh, Jerusalem on a donkey. Uh, it's the Holy Week. It's his final week. And they are getting ready. To, Jesus has taken his disciples away for the last time before he goes into Jerusalem. And he goes into the land of Ephraim. And it's right after uh, Lazarus is... Um, uh, healed, and the Pharisees go crazy uh, because he has been healed, and now they really want to kill him, which is crazy. You think somebody's healing people and doing all these powerful things, but because the religious were losing their power position, 
that began to, um, they, they became murderous towards him because they had positions of influence, they had houses, they had um, uh, belief systems that they had indoctrinated the people to believe, which actually kept them away from really knowing God. And so they didn't want that to happen. And they certainly didn't want him doing things they couldn't do, right? So they're going in and they're in Ephraim for about six weeks, um, two months at the most, and Jesus is spending his last bit of time with his favorite people, his people, his disciples, the ones that he walked with, that he talked with, that he was always close to, that he was constantly teaching, wanting to mentor. And they didn't have any idea what was going on. And he had already told them two other times that he's getting ready to leave and that he's gonna be persecuted and you're gonna be persecuted and it's gonna go down and it's gonna be hard. And they are not aware of that. They are completely clueless. And half of the things, maybe even two thirds of the things, maybe even three fourths of the things Jesus was saying to them went right over their head. And they processed it through their own natural understanding or what they wanted and they missed the boat. Uh, majority of the time. So Jesus is taking some time aside, and he has to because they're looking for him. They're going to kill him, and he knows it. It's his hour, um, and so he's hiding, and he's in hiding, and he begins to teach his people, his wonderful people. So one of the th here's another thing I want to share. So one of the things that I have always wrestled with in my faith is I came to Jesus, and I didn't know half the majority of the things that were wrong with me. I'd cry, I'd sob, you know, six or seven things that just really bothered me about myself that I wanted to bring into redemption and transformation. And I couldn't get it at times. And it, some of the things took years, it took 10, 15 years. And I've been walking with the Lord for a long time. And um, the Lord really dealt with me uh, after a while, after I had been sobbing and snot crying and interceding and almost like beating my back and, you know, making all these kind of cry outs to God. And God dealt with me, Sherry, I know all 52 things that are wrong with you. And if you will just follow me, if you will just walk with me, I will fix the stuff you're starting to see that I'm revealing. And so it was a real eye-opener for me when I was 18 or 19 years old, is to come to terms with that God was the one who was going to fix me. And all I had to do was abide in him. And so but something started to happen to me, and whatever the you know, denomination or the religious affiliation, but the problem for us always is being religious. It's always the problem. And when we become ritual in what we do for the sake of our works, or our appearances, or our righteousness, it's always as filthy rags to Jesus and to God. It's never a sweet-smelling fragrance. But what happened to me is because the further I, the closer that I went to Jesus, the more I realized, the more I realized um, I was a mess, and I had a lot of stuff to deal with. And, and I was young, and I thought, oh, I'll go to counseling, and the counseling made me realize, oh, you got more wrong with you than you realize. And I thought, oh, wow, by the time I figure out half what's in this steamer trunk I'm dragging with me, I'm going to have a U-Haul. And so I started to really get on myself, to rigid myself with my external management of myself. And what I realized is that it made me very empty, and I began to lose my flavor and my zest and my fire for God. I began to become religious about my faith. And I looked at what I wasn't doing and the rules way more than the whole commission of why I came to Jesus, and that was for relationship and abiding. So that's what I want to talk with you. So sometimes the church will tell us, and I've been part of it, I'm sure I've made the mistakes, especially with my children, 
is that uh, we have to get in line with the rules. And Jesus came to abolish the law and to give life in the spirit. And so the purpose of that was because he was the only one that could ever destroy the works of the devil or ever fulfill the law. It was Jesus. So I just want to bring you back to the basics a little bit with that and so that you can finish well because Jesus is getting ready to die and he's literally telling them everything they need to know. He's putting it in a condensed form what they need to know before he goes. He's reminding them. And so they say it's one of the most powerful times right before Jesus, the final week um, and uh, of fulfillment is that powerful time because he covers everything by the basis, which is kind of cool, right? He just smashes a whole bunch of stuff in there in that six weeks period, and he begins to deal with them. So I'm going to read to you some stuff. Um, I, I've got some uh, slides, but I want to. I'm going to read to you it aloud uh, a little bit. So. So uh, the disciples, like I said, were struggling, and they really only understood that there was an earthly kingdom right now. They thought that Jesus was overthrowing uh, the Romans, and he was going to be the reigning king and not the suffering servant, because there's two comings. So they, had a, they didn't realize that. They thought he was really going to deliver them. So Peter, you know, with his sword and all this stuff, they were like, let's roll, let's do this. And so there was all this tension. It was a very messy a motley group of people, those disciples. They did not get along. They did not get along at all. The, some of them, if you've ever watched in The Chosen where they're like not getting along and they can't stand each other, it was true. They were opposites. Matthew was a tax collector. Uh, Simon Peter was a zealot and he wanted the sword and to deliver and they were the ones that would go in like the Mossad, you know, doing all this crazy stuff, trying to get in there and uh, sh show off for their country and deliver them. And Matthew was a tax collector, and he was the exact opposite. He had sold himself to the Romans, and it was such a big deal, so they couldn't stand each other. And they were always fighting over the perspectives of how things were to be. Even afterwards, you'll see them fighting. So Jesus sits, they're all together with Jesus, and he, the first thing that comes up in this period uh, of, of that, right before the, um, what do they call it, Holy Week, uh, is the Pharisees, the first thing Jesus has them highlight is the Pharisees begin to question. They begin to question him, and he was always being questioned by the religious. And so if you're going to, if you're ever going to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to learn to not be religious about yourself and about the things of God. And if you don't want to be corrected so harshly, then you have to stop being religious. And so he goes into this thing about telling them uh, the Pharisees are coming down on them. They have some issues towards women, and uh, they're trying to catch him in something. But Jesus answers them in very, like, finesse kinds of ways. And instead of saying uh, what the whole thing back and forth between women, because only women could be divorced. Men, women, women couldn't divorce the man. The man could only divorce the woman. And so he tells them some things about that. He actually, if you ever study that, it's Matthew 19 um, and uh, Mark 10, you'll see that uh, he's, he's actually finessing his way through the hardness of their heart, and he's bringing them back to the Edenic purpose of, men and, of woman and man when they were one, Ahad, uh, before the original Adam was taken apart. But they're not catching it. So Jesus was always breaking the rules that were not his rules. Uh, if you heard Kevin say before, uh, uh, your rule's not mine. Jesus would walk around and go, your rule's not mine. Well, that's what he's doing here. So Jesus always had a correcting word for the Pharisees. Now, they, were, um, they believed in the supernatural, 
They weren't like the Sadducees. They didn't believe in the supernatural. But the Pharisees did. And so he would, he would argue with them, and he would call them to account with things. And then the next thing Jesus did is he, uh, uh, he would always talk to his, his disciples. And so back in the Old Testament, this is a really great concept to get. Back in the Old Testament, uh, the Holy Spirit was upon people only for specific callings or purpose. The, the Spirit of God did not dwell in man or woman. He wasn't within them. Um, so all they had, the Israelites, if they obeyed God and if they stayed clean and they followed all the rules, all they had was um, his protection and his provision and his care. But the intimacy was only on the feasts uh, that they would be able to participate with. And the rest of the time, they did not have intimacy with God. So when Jesus showed up on the scene, he became very personal and very intimate with them. And he was always walking around with them as if he loved them and as if they had a purpose for their life and he was developing them into something. And he would treat them as if he would, they would call him rabbi and rabbis were to be the mentor and they would, you would literally be under your rabbi. You would do what he did, what he said you would do. Um, you watch The Chosen, you'll see some of John's uh, disciples go and follow Jesus and he sends them over. You would follow your rabbi. And so they're following him, but he would be with them as if they were close, as if they were family. And this had never happened before in the New Testament. This was not common uh, to be with someone so intimately. So they became very, very bonded. And so the disciples would spend time with Jesus, and he would, they, would, uh, they would hear him give parables to the um, whosoever's. God would not reveal his wisdom only to them that sought after it. So, so if you were hard-hearted, he would answer you, but he would answer you in something you would have to seek it if you really wanted to know the truth. But his disciples, because he knew their heart, he would reveal to them if they would ask. They didn't ask a lot, which was is our mistake a lot of times. We don't ask. We don't have not because we don't ask not, or we ask amiss, right? So they would ask him, and he would explain things to them. And so he goes on to explaining it. And anytime they would ask him something, he would explain it, even if they didn't get it. And he would know they weren't getting it many of the time. Again, three-fourths of the time, they did not know what he was doing. Or they had selfish purposes, self-centered, self-purposed, self-motivated purposes for what Jesus was doing. And they had no idea he was going to do things backwards or different than their concept. So, so he goes on to explain it to them. And then he starts to bless the children. This is in his uh, last six weeks before. And the next parable that goes on is that Jesus blesses his children. So we're going to put some scriptures. Go ahead. Give me a slide, uh, Alex. So these are the things we're going to go through. You can, you can uh, let's see. You were gonna, I'll go here. So we're going to talk about the hard-hearted I just talked to you about. That's in math. You can take pictures of these. These are really powerful if you want it for another time. So... Um, he answers the disciples, and this is the chronological order. He begins to answer, and then he begins to bless the children. So what Jesus is doing here is he's reinforcing family. Never before had they felt that they were owned by a heavenly father. They had never known God the Father as Abba. He had never been known as Abba. Jesus was the first one to identify Adonai, Elohim, as, as father. He was the first one. So he began to then initiate to them relationship of little children. 
So he, he then went in, he starts to correct them in some areas or teach them ways of how to avoid uh, trouble, how to uh, avoid the pitfalls of where they're not supposed to go and how to not get distracted with the life. And then he goes into the love of these here three. And then he talks about forsaking earthly attachments and tells them of his death a third time. Okay, go to the next. He deals with them on ego, pride. Um, he deals with them uh, on humility. He then reinforces Zacchaeus and the healing and the compassion of which, or the salvation that he brings to him and the heart that's needed in which for someone to actually follow him. He's teaching them through this life of Zacchaeus' story, the, that story. He's teaching them how true salvation is. They're repenting. He repents, he re brings restitution from all those that he's been greedy and what you call he with and done bad things. And so Jesus is teaching them that. Then he goes and he shows them blind Bartimaeus, he heals. And he, blind Bartimaeus is the one who's crying out for mercy. And so Jesus, instead of, they're arguing up here, they're beginning to argue about who will be the greatest and who will, who will uh, be with him and rule. And they're asking, and Jesus goes into this whole explanation of what is the, the true kingdom of heaven and that it's inverted. It's not the way up is down and that it's true servanthood. And so he shows, he shows compassion for the one who's crying out for mercy. And Jesus is again pointing to them, uh, this is what you're doing. Uh, this is what you're supposed to be doing. This is what you're distracted with. This is what you're supposed to be doing. So then he goes into what is the purpose of your life? And he talks about what real ruling and reigning is with him in the kingdom that's to come. The parable of the talents is also very associated, like connected with it, you know, like using what you have kind of thing. And then what my favorite part is after all of this is passed through, he begins to talk about the anointing. So you go through all of this process of those last two, you know, it's almost like a compartmentalized book. Uh, you go through all of that last slide and this slide and you go into then your commission for anointing, for purpose. And it's so beautiful because Jesus is so caring and he's so concerned for them that he wants to set it with them, what's going on because he knows he's leaving and he knows they haven't gotten it yet. So, all right, go to the next slide. All right, so the Pharisees, I talked to you a little bit about that. There was a there's a battle here uh, between the Old Testament and the New Testament law, the Old Testament law and the spirit-led life. It says in John 15, Jesus, I am the vine and I am the true branches. It says, I'm gonna read it to you. It says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. This is the amplified. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that continues to bear fruit, he repeatedly prunes. He keeps snipping. So that it will bear more fruit, even richer and finer fruit. You already are clean because of the word which I have given you, the teachings which I discussed with you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Just as no branch can bear fruit by itself without remaining in the vine, neither can you bear fruit, produce evidence of your faith, unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him, bear much fruit. For otherwise, apart from me, that is, cut off from the vital union with me, you can do nothing." 
If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown out like a broken branch. He begins to wither and die, and they gather the branches and throw them into the fire. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. That means if you are vitally united and my message lives in your heart, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father, amen, my Father is glorified and honored by this. When you bear much fruit and prove yourself to be my true disciples, I have loved you just as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love and do not doubt my love for you. If you keep my commands and obey my teachings, you will remain in my love and just as I have kept my Father's and remained in his. I have told you these things so that my joy and delight may be in you and that your joy may be full and complete and overflowing. Such a great, those, that's so great. Those chapters right around uh, John 15, uh, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are phenomenal chapters for you to study. If you really want to know the like composite of the walk of faith with Jesus, those chapters are worth it. So he then goes, so Jesus is a true vine. So this whole shift happens from Old Testament, doing what you're told, uh, doing it out of fear. There's Galatians, it says, no longer a slave to fear. Um, I am a child of God. That's what's happening here. here. Back in the Old Testament, they were slaves to fear the wrath would come upon them. There was tremendous consequence when they didn't toe up and they were constantly unclean, constantly, constantly unclean. Walk near dead body, do this, do that, all this crazy stuff. So they were wrestling really with this. And so the Old Testament law was the struggle for them and the New Testament spirit-led life was the new thing that Jesus was bringing about. And he said that he's the advocate or the advocate would come, right? He's sending it and he said, it's better that I go because when I go, um, he's going to come and he's gonna teach you of all things right? So it, all the stuff that they couldn't register with, they're going to get from the advocate. They're going to get from the comforter. They're going to get from uh, Holy Spirit. So this whole thing is struggling there. And so they're, they're wrestling with it and a spirit-led life of what, they're what this means. And so Jesus says in 15, uh, John 15, then when we go into some of the other, the epistles, you see, which is quite awesome when the disciples, because they're now full of the Spirit, they're actually starting to break Scripture down. But before they were, had the Holy Spirit, they weren't breaking anything down. They were misunderstanding everything and not even asking questions because they were so dull in their thinking. But because they got the Holy Spirit, things began to change. And so we're going to read that in a second. So 2 Corinthians says, uh, for Christ's love compels us, for the charity, which is the goodness of Christ, presses us. So the whole shift of why we do what we do is motivated by love, motivated by relationship, motivated by abiding, whereas in the Old Testament, we didn't get a chance to abide. There was no abiding. You did what you were supposed to do. You, um, you, you did it out of fear oftentimes because you didn't want the wrath of an angry God, you know? There's a book about that, which is Old Testament version. And you wanted, and you didn't know the love of God in that concept of it all, or intimacy. God was not father to you. But when Jesus said that, everything shifted. You've heard the veil was torn, the holy of holy, the access, all this kind of stuff. Why did that happen? Because Jesus. So 2 Corinthians says he has made us competent, competent, great word, as ministers of his new covenant, new covenant, another good word, new covenant. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. 
The New Testament is the fulfillment of the old. And so the, our life is to be hedged or driven towards, the, uh, our life is to be led, motivated, propelled forward by the New Testament. We're not Old Testament uh, followers, we're New Testament followers. And when I used to um, be in church sometimes, I used to feel that like I was beating myself up with all of the rules because of my personal struggles, but I lost the fact that the spirit-led life was what gave me life and freedom, right? And so I'm trying to remind that to you today because we need it. We can't, we can't press forward with all that God has for us and all that we have been made ministers of his new covenant with if we go back to the old and we, like Galatians says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And that whole chapter, that whole section goes on to talk about them walking away and beginning by the law and beginning to become very self-conscious and self-aware of themselves as they follow Christ into the light. They see the things. And so, so this is what's going on. And it says, this is a covenant, not of written laws, but of the spirit. We're in covenant and we're in covenant with the spirit. It's not of the written law. The old written covenant ends in dead, but under the new covenant, the spirit gives life. So our whole life, this is the, project, the trajectory of our life. And Jesus is driving this home, this message here, because he wants you to understand that the simplicity of relationship is like a little child. So Ephesians, prisoners of the Lord, life worth calling. We know that, okay, walk in the spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the flesh craves. You can go on to the next one. It's a little extra. So Jesus blesses the children. And in Matthew 10, it talks about people were bringing little children to Jesus and the disciples rebuked them. We're always kind of a little annoyed with kids, right? They're a little pesky. You know, if we come to Jesus as a little child, we're a little bit annoying. We're pestery. We think, wow, we have a lot. We make a lot of mistakes. We're not good enough. We can't, we, we fall short of the mark. We're always very aware. It's like when you come into a place and you know there's a protocol in the military or there's a protocol in a new school or there's a protocol in certain settings of a job or something. Well, Christianity had that too and so did, and so did the Jews. And so new converts, even like the Gentiles, they would come into uh, faith and they would have, there was this conflict that was even going on uh, in the uh, council of Bethlehem. And they were trying to figure out what should they eat, food sacrificed to idols, do they have to keep the dietary laws? And so there was a lot of clashing going on back then. And so Jesus, he tells them uh, that the children, uh, that the disciples begin to rebuke them. And Jesus, when Jesus sees this, it, he was indignant such a great word, indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive, and this is the great part, who will not receive the kingdom like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and he put his hand on them and he blessed them. So this is the slide for Jesus um, answering his disciples. Go forward one more for me and then we'll go backwards. So Matthew 18, he says, at that time the disciples came, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus invites a little child to stand among them. And he says, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this little child 
is the greatest of the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. He then says in Matthew 19, let the little children come for the kingdom is like that uh, belongs to such as these. He says in Romans 8:14, for those that are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. And then he says in 1 John 5, little children, keep yourself from idols. So God, Jesus is teaching his people that I need you to always come to me as if you're a little kid. And those of us that have kids, we know that the love of little children, me being a grandparent, is so wonderful because I get to experience that newness of toddlerness and that little nuances and the excitement when they walk into or they get a box, your refrigerator box. There's all these wonderful experiences that they get from just the simplest of things. And so Jesus is telling us that if we want to understand the kingdom, we have to approach it like a little child. We can't approach it with like a heady way of doing things. We can't approach it with like, oh, well, the natural world is like this. You're looking at the world as if you were just born and you're born into a new, new environment and you're learning new ways, you're learning new language, you're, you're not embarrassed, you're not um, um, insecure, you're not um, uh, self-conscious. Young children are not self-conscious. You're not harsh on yourself. The only children that, young children that are harsh on themselves are the children that have actually had someone traumatize them. But when they're young, they have no filters. They're free. And so Jesus is wanting us to realize it's the little children. It's a childlike, it's, it's being childlike. It's, he goes on to even say in other places, childlike faith. Childlike faith. Well, sometimes I think my faith, wow, this is foolish faith. How will God do this? I had dinner with someone the other night and I was so moved by uh, uh, the gal that I was with and she was talking about faith. And she, did, she knew that she didn't have to know every Bible scripture to know that God is good and that God will move on her behalf if she believes. She knew that if she prayed according to God's will and, he was, and he, she knows that he's good and he hears her, he's gonna do it. And it doesn't matter how long. She didn't have to know all the Greek. She didn't have to know all the Hebrew. She didn't have to know all the breakdowns. She didn't have to study Bible school or anything like that. She just believed with childlike faith that God was able to do it, and he would. He says in 1 John, if you ask me according to my will, I will hear you, and I will do it. So childlike faith, childlike status, understanding the kingdom of God is even like a, a family. So there's children, there's mentors, there's fathers, spiritual fathers, there's spiritual mothers. You're sitting in a group that you need to plug into. We're a body. We're not to be by ourselves. We're not to break off and do our own thing. We're to be in a body, the Bible says. We're to be fitly spoken, yes. Thank you. We're, we have a head, you know, it's Christ. And we have leaders and we're to submit ourselves to leaders and we're to submit ourselves to mentors and we're sub to submit ourselves to Christ. We have to align ourselves with the purposes of a family, and we have to see the kingdom of God in the same concept. So that's what Jesus is going on. And, then he, and, and the crazy thing is you would think that Jesus would start slapping serious stuff down here, but Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus isn't slapping it like I would have expected it to, and he's not, he's not going off in some of the nuances we do in our faith in which to get somebody in the straight and the right. He's actually just committing them to the Holy Spirit, and he's stressing the importance of living a life led by the Spirit. And these are the people that literally changed the world without any information uh, age, without any uh, social media, without any um, television. They changed the world 
because they were led by the Spirit. They didn't even have a Bible at that time. There was no New Testament. There was no New Testament at that time. It had not been recorded. And I think the first recording of the first book, Mark is the first one, and I think it's 70 AD or something. So for 70 years, God in his infiniteness did not think that it had to be written down until the Spirit had moved for a while. Interesting. Seems like it would be very messy, right? And it was, but Jesus was with them because he said the most important thing was getting the Holy Spirit and the advocate and the comforter. So he's everything. And he actually said it was better that I go because you're getting something equal to me that's better. So we're to live our lives led by the Spirit. We're not to beat ourselves up with the law. The law kills, the Spirit gives life. So Jesus blessed them. Then he takes them, he begins, a, a, a young man comes up to him. Again, this is in Mark uh, 10, 17. Uh, rich young man, and Jesus uh, starts on his way, and the man runs up, and he falls on his knees, and then he says, hey, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Uh, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, don't steal, false testimony, don't fraud, don't honor your father and mother. And he says, teacher, but see, Jesus knew his heart. He says, teacher, he declared, declared, like we do. All of these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him with love, his compassionate way. We would have been like, oh gosh, you know, you're such a brag, right? You're such a brag. How can anybody do that? We know that, right? Because we know that covetousness, it's heart, right? But the, the Old Testament, the Israelites lived out their faith from the external. Their faith was external. Their faith wasn't internal at this time. So he says, I've done everything. And Jesus then says to him, and if you look this up, it says he looked at him with ignorance and his simpleness. And he says, one thing you lack, go sell everything that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasures in heaven and then come back. And this man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. We'll see Jesus because Jesus knows everything, just like Jesus knows everything that's wrong with you and knows everything he can do with you and how excited and confident he is that your life is gonna produce majorly wonderful things if you follow him, right? Jesus knew that his issue was covetousness. And out of all the 10 commandments, covetousness is the only one that deals with the heart. Everything is able to be done with externally. And then you've seen this other story where Jesus says, oh, if you kill, you murder in your heart. You know, Jesus starts talking about heart stuff. So Jesus was always on the heart. So the rich young man walks away and he, and he looks around and his, his disciples say how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom. They were amazed at his word. And Jesus says again, children, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. He says about the eye of a needle and a camel going through, and the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then, Jesus, who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God, all things, but, but not with God, all things are possible with God. Back in that time, they thought that only the people that had money were, were the blessed of God. That's what they thought. They believed that if you were blessed, it was because you were um, godly. And, and it's like in India, Alex can tell you that they have that caste system. So if you've done something, you got it from your parents' sin or something like that. And so they leave you. And you, in, in India, you're left, you're the, they, what do they call them? The, um, the, uh, the, 
the untouchables. There you go, the untouchables. And so they thought that way in Israel too. They thought that if you had something wrong with you and you see the one time when Jesus is healing, um, did his father do something? And Jesus says, no, um, it's for, that the gifts, that the glory of God might be made manifest. But they thought everything had come because they had deserved it. So he, they talked to him and they're shocked. And so Jesus is again taking them back to heart. Jesus is again telling them, he's correcting Pharisees that don't have the right heart, but do all the right things. And he's dealing with them about what is really matters to him. So let's see, where are we? Let's go to another slide. Jesus deals with the heart. Look at that. Wow, that was, that was really amazing. I did that. All right. Jesus deals with the heart. So he's the ruler, forsaking. Jesus tells of it. He, he talks here, Matthew 10, anyone who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not keep, take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So Jesus is dealing with this stuff. He's always dealing, wonderful Jesus is always looking at the heart. He's the revealer of the secret places, it says in scripture. He's able, the Bible says that he, uh, the word of God is, is so powerful and so mighty that it's able to divide bone from marrow. And you know what that means? That's your, literally your skeletal system, the foundation of who you are, your bones, your makeup, and slice whatever is still flesh. He's able to take it away or deal with you. So he deals with them then about forsaking earthly attachments, and they keep talking to him. They're talking about what happened with the rich young ruler because it's beyond them. They've never seen anything like this. What do you mean he's covetous? What do you mean he's not of the uh, statured ones? And we do that even now. We have a problem with the same thing. And so they go on and they're asking, and Peter says, hey, we've left everything to follow you. What then is there for us? And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his throne, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones. And he says, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That's what we're going to talk about in a little bit. Everyone who's left father and mother, uh, children, fields, houses, family, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. It, another uh, other translation says in this life and the one to come, but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. So again, it's the inverted kingdom. The ones that we think will be at the front will not necessarily be the ones that are actually at the rewards um, and the inheritance. And the parable of the mina is the inheritance of kingdoms, of what you've done with what he told you to do. And so we will rule and reign with him and so it's important for us to realize that why are we sacrificing, like Peter asked, he was the one that would talk for all of us, you know, why are we sacrificing in this life? Why do we pay the cost? Why do we serve? Why do we give? Why do we do things selflessly for other people? And it's because it's the reward of the kingdom. Everything that we do in this life has a reward. It does. If we do nothing, if we sow wood, hay, and stubble, it burns. If it's, it's gold and silver, it, it, it passes through. It's in your account. The, the things that you give to people, the sacrifices that you make, all of those things that you forget about even, 
the people you drive to church, the people that you reach out because you're insecure and you don't, you don't want to, but you do it anyway. You reach out to them for Jesus. You bring them to the Lord or you start to talk your best way possible. All of that stuff has kingdom reward. And you'll forget it, but the Lord doesn't. He's El Roy. He's the God who sees. He sees all. So some will be in front of others and we won't even understand it. And there'll be some that they're, 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 they're rewarded and we will have never known them. And we will think there's those that are on TV and I'm not saying TV's a problem and there's those that have big churches and I'm not saying people with big churches that that's a problem. But there will be some that have done it for wrong motive and their reward will be in this life. And we will not understand why they weren't rewarded the same way. Jesus says the first will be last and the last will be first. And he tells Peter, he actually would tell, he encourages him for asking, for asking. That's what Peter would do. I like that. Peter with his big mouth, right? Yeah. So he then talks about his death for the third time, the cost of following him. He says in John uh, 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace in the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So he's telling them it's gonna get bad, there's gonna be persecutions, and that the testings of your faith, you're gonna see some of the apostles break it down with the Holy Spirit in a little bit. When they're writing the epistles, he tells them it's, it's all worth it, you know, that he's overcome the world and that the trials and tribulations are for the perseverance and perseverance produces character. And, and he's telling them why it's worth it and to keep going. And so I wanna encourage you that you can keep going you can keep going. You can live in the faith. You can be messy. You can wear poopy diapers for a long time. If you want to, you're the only one that'll keep smelling it in the people sitting next to you, right? But the Lord still loves you and you can still abide. He wants you to conform to his image. The law kills and the spirit gives life. But if I have faith in him, my works will show, right? So, but my motive of why I do it is because I'm a slave to righteousness. So that's why I begin to pursue. I become a slave to righteousness, not a slave to the law. All right, so am I, am I going to, am I good? We good? Okay, all right, let me see. I have 13 minutes, that's great. All right, so Jesus says, no one who leaves it, uh, you'll be persecuted. Uh, Kevin was talking a little bit about that. This theme of being persecuted is throughout all of, all of the gospels and all of scripture. Yes, we are persecuted for our faith. Yes, we are. Are we, are, do, does God give us breakthrough? Does he bless us in spite of it? Yes, he does. He's a generous God. He lavishes good things upon his people, but we are going to deal with it and we have to learn how we're gonna process it. So Jesus is telling them that. He tells them that in three days he'll rise. He's going to Jerusalem. He'll be betrayed. The disciples still don't get it. And then he continues on. And then he goes into the next one. Go ahead, next slide. Or did, did I, yeah, I did the one before that. Go ahead, next slide. So he goes, so they don't get it that he's telling them that he's going to die. They don't get it. They don't get it when he's talking on the Mount of Transfiguration and he's doing all that crazy stuff and they're seeing the glory and uh, witnessing it. And then they come down and they can't even cast out a devil. And he's trying to explain things that you're not praying, you're not getting it, you're not, you're not in communion with me. That's why you're not casting out devils. And, and then they're arguing amongst themselves uh, who's the greatest. And Peter, James, and John are fighting amongst the other disciples because they got taken up to the mountain. They're missing the whole story about, about the, the boy with the, um, 
demoniac and not being able to manifest power, but they're arguing over who's the best and who's the greatest. And so it goes here. The next thing that Jesus talks to them about is death. Uh, he talks to them about the request. The next thing that comes to him is the request by James and John. And it says that the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus. They had already asked him one other time to sit at your right and your left. And he said, it's not mine unless you want to drink from the cup. Remember he says that? But they don't get it. So then they send his, his mom goes over, you know, good old mom trying to get you some position. And so he, the mother goes over and comes to Jesus with her sons and she kneels down. She asks him a favor and he says, what do you want? That's Jesus always asking us what we want. What do we seek? And she says, grant these two sons of mine to sit at your right and the left. And James and John came to him and said, teacher, they said, we want you to do, do for us whatever you ask. And he says back to them, knowing, what do you want me to do for you? And they replied, let us sit on your right and on your left in your glory. And he says, you don't know what you're asking. And what, can you drink from the cup? And he, they said, we can. And can you be baptized with the baptism that I am? And they said, yes. And he then confirms to them, even though they don't know what they're saying, that they will. Uh, they will do exactly. They will actually be persecuted the same way as him and go through the same thing. They were, uh, many of them were crucified upside down and all these kinds of things. They would give their lives. So instead of Jesus asking if they can, you know, or really explaining what they're saying, you know, if you want to sit at my right and my left, the cost is yourself. He goes into another teaching. So Jesus begins to teach humility. And he says uh, he, their ego and their pride on the, mountain of the Mount of Transfiguration. And Mark 9 says, he asks them, what are you discussing? This is another place. What are you discussing? But he knew what they were discussing. And he calls the 12 and he says, anyone who wants to be first must be last and the servant of all. So again, Jesus is reviewing the main topics for us of, of a life in the kingdom. And many times when we begin to walk in the spirit and we get, begin to see the glory manifest from our lives, that is the most um, uh, uh, risky time. The most risky time in the life of a believer is when they're seeing the kingdom manifested from, them, from their, their life because it begins to it can corrupt them and they cannot remember the grace and the mercy that rests upon their lives for how God is using them and they begin to get uh, distracted. And so Jesus wants them to know that you're not to get distracted. You're, you're to stay in sync with me. You're to abide in me. You're to stay in humility. You're to know it's my grace, it's my mercy that I use you, that I've called you, it's my purposes, I know the plans. And so they're having to learn it. So Jesus teaches humility with Mark 10. And this is actually the next, the next segment. He says, um, he goes into, uh, teaching humility, and he says, uh, the, uh, the Son of Man did not come to serve, uh, but to be served and give his life a ransom for many. So he's actually teaching them, the, again, it's giving your life away. It's not, the, it's not the, the dazzle, it's not the glory. He'll give it to you if he can get it through you. The anointing he will give to you if he can get it through you. If you can give him the glory and you don't steal it for yourself, you can stay out of the, the struggles or the sins. That, uh, back in my old-timey church, they would say the gold, the glory, or the girls. You know, Don't touch the glory. It's his. Don't touch the money. The love of money is the root of all evil, right? Covetous hearts. And don't, touch the, uh, don't uh, sin against yourself with sexual uh, in, impurities. So crazy. 
All right, so they travel towards uh, Jerusalem, and uh, Zacchaeus is, is, uh, is converted. Uh, you can turn to the next slide. He's converted, and the main point of all of this is that he's crying out for mercy, and he wants his disciples to see that he's a God of mercy. He wants them, he's highlighting, I am the God of mercy, and he wants them to see and remember his compassion. Then he goes on with blind Bartimaeus, and blind Bartimaeus is, is uh, excuse me, it was uh, blind Bartimaeus who's one who's asking for mercy. And he wants them to see that he's a God of compassion and he's a God of mercy. They didn't know that either. They, they knew rules, they knew consequences, and they knew law. And when Jesus showed up, everything changed. So this, those little vignettes there are all that Jesus went over. He didn't break down the over 600 and something uh, breakdowns of the Ten Commandments that the Pharisees had done. He didn't do anything like that. He didn't start telling them the rights and the wrong or how they could embarrass the church or how they could embarrass him or how to, you know, he didn't break any of that down. He literally only gave them the core of that material in which to take them forward in their faith and in their calling. It was a simple message. It was a simple season and a simple reminding. And most of us would never turn over the reins for anything with that little bit, right? We wouldn't do that, but Jesus did. And he was okay with the messiness. And so the next thing I just wanna point out to you is we have to be okay with messy if we're gonna reach the world. If we're gonna reach our neighbors, if we're gonna reach ourselves, we have to be okay with ourself and our messiness. We have to be okay with ourself and our process. We have to stay in process and we have to love the world in spite of themselves. We are the ones who are being renewed and transformed. They are the ones that are pre-Christ, and so we're giving them grace because we know that the law kills. So we're giving them the spirit which gives life, right? So our goal is to bring them the same way we were brought. All right, so, so are you getting anything out of this? You guys are looking at me really serious. I know I'm kind of deep, but I wanted to give this to you because I think that finishing well, it's so easy to get off target with finishing well. It is so easy. It is so easy to fall into the mire of something and take years to get out of it and to waste 10 or 15 years of your life doing the wrong things at the wrong time for the wrong reasons. And if we stick to the simple things like prayer, coming to church, living my life on mission, like Kevin talks about giving and uh, reading my Bible, I, I, my life is changed by that kind of trajectory of the purpose. And, and like the potter, if I'm al allowing myself to be on the wheel, I become something. If I try to make myself something, I become nothing. I can't do it. I have to remember from whence my help comes from. And so Jesus is driving this home, thank you, with those wonderful people that are his future, the new ambassadors, the fresh new covenant, the ministers of the new covenant. And they became, they literally changed the world. They literally wrote these books and they changed the world. And they broke down the things that Jesus said that they couldn't figure out before all because they had the advocate. Spirit-led life is everything. Spirit-led life is everything. A spirit-led life is everything. If you think you're gonna make it work without a spirit-led life, you've bewitched yourself. You've made, you've de you deceived yourself. You cannot live apart from Christ. Your breath comes from him. The ruach, the breath of God that gives you life, 
is the very thing that keeps you going. You must have him. You must have him. So this whole thing goes on, and Zacchaeus receives his healing. Blind Bartimaeus is healed, or uh, he receives Jesus. Bartimaeus is healed. Go to the next one. And we go into the parable of a 10 minus, which is Luke. So this is the last one. Now you hear Peter asking if there's a reward. But Jesus himself talks about this. This is his idea. This isn't a question to anybody. This is Jesus bringing this up, and he closes it and then receives an anointing. There's a story for us. The 10 minus, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. I think we're actually, we're in mixed company here because Jesus is now starting to go on his way. So you'll see Jesus is talking in parables here because there's mixed company. It's a mixed multitude. So he talks in the parable because he's near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to the distant country to have himself, and this is Luke 19, uh, appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minus. Put this money to work until I come back. His subject hated him and sent him a, a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to be our king curious, the mixed multitude. But he went, he, w- he was made king, however, and returned home and he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained from it. The first one said, hey, uh, sir, my, my mina, uh, your mina has earned 10 more. And it, I believe mina is silver and gold, but it also means works. It's uh, like all that you possess, your abilities. It's less about like um, a value thing and it's everything that you have capacity to produce with your life when you study out the word. Interesting, right? So he says, look, I've done this. I've got you 10 more. And he says, well done, good and servant, my good servant, because you've been trustworthy in this little small thing, take charge of the 10 cities. In the parable of the talents, it's five, I think it's two, and it's one. That Jesus, uh, the, the, the one who's giving out the uh, talents. And the one is the one who decides that he's not going to do anything with it because he thinks it's such a slight amount that why would I do anything? And Jesus says, um, because you've been trustworthy in this very small matter, and this is a small matter, Jesus calls it, take charge of 10 cities, ruling and reigning with him. Jesus is reminding his people there's a kingdom to gain. Of course, there's a hell to shun, but there's a kingdom to gain and a Uh, the gospel of the kingdom to manifest and you are getting ready to do it without me but it's good that I go right or else the advocate would not come so he does that and then he says uh, to the master the second comes and he says hey here's my minus Um, I've earned five more and so he had ten too but he actually only got a five five return right but Jesus says to him you can take charge of five cities and the other says hey here's mine I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth and he says I was afraid of you this is a curious thing because I knew that you were a hard man you take what you you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow and his master said I will judge you by your own words because this wasn't true he actually didn't know him if if he knew Jesus he would know that this was not Jesus Jesus isn't like that. He's not the rules. Jesus is Jesus. Jesus is a loving God who came to save, right? For God so loved the world, right? All the dirty, rotten scoundrels out there, the wicked, the whole lot, the whole kit and caboodle, right? 
Jesus loved them all, right? The entire world. He gave his life for all. So if he knew him, if he knew him, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have thought that. And he said, uh, by your own words, you're judged. Uh, you, if you knew that, did you, that I was a hard man taking what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Um, and then he talks about how you put your money on deposit so that when I came back, it could have collected interest. He's saying that it's actually what he's talking about here is using your life. Before that, he's talking about your productivity. But he's saying if you had at least put it with the stewards, he's talking about with the church and with those that are doing something and trusting it that you would at least have interest from that. At least know that even if you're uh, cowardly or you're insecure or you're self-conscious, you don't know that God will give you more even if you make a mistake. Do you know that? God will give you more even if you make a mistake. God will give you more even if you fail. Even if you waste it, you make a mess, if you're repentant, God will give you some more. He will let you start again. He's got plenty. He's got the cattle on a thousand hills. It's all his. All that land is all his. Israel made tons of mistakes with, with, uh, with God, but God remembered them. As soon as they cried, he, he began to turn his heart and his head towards them. So he replied, I tell you, to everyone who has, more will be given. But for those who have nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who didn't want to be king over them, bring them here, and then he gets them out. Uh, he gets rid of them. He kills them. So, um, again, that's the whole story of hell. People think, oh, there's no hell. No, there is a separation from God. There just is. You're separated right now. If you don't know Jesus, you're separated right now. You know of him. You may know of God, but that's the, not the same as knowing him. It's just not. I can know Bill Clinton, but he doesn't know me, right? I know of him. I don't know him personally. And if I don't know him personally, I, I'm not known of him. He doesn't know my name. So he says that those, he, he separates from him. Why? Because you didn't want to be with him in the first place. You had a choice. He gives you what you want. You have, you have free opportunity. You have free gift. All right. So the last thing he does is uh, he gets anointed. So the last thing I want to talk with you about, oh, I have just a couple minutes. Hooray. And then I'm going to pray for you. The anointing. Mary anoints with the alabaster jar. And so... Jesus is actually demonstrating something to them that if they follow this path for them, the surrendered life brings anointing. That's what he's telling them. The surrendered life to Christ brings anointing. It's just, it's like if I start walking somewhere, it just is on me. As soon as I come into alignment, the anointing comes of blessing. The anointing comes of not just blessing for myself, which is the abiding presence of God, the anointing, which is actually the, uh, the um, epi, which is the overflow of his presence that begins to minister to other people, and I become his usage. I become his tool. I become his hands extended. And so if I will do these things, those simple things, they're not easy, right? They're, they're not easy, but they are simple. The things of God are not always easy, but they are simple very simple, intentionally, that even kids can get it. My grandson can teach me better things about the Bible sometimes that I could catch myself because of his simpleness. So the anointing. So what I want to do is I want to pray for you. It says here that uh, she anointed me, uh, and it says, to, it says, anointed my body in advance for burial, and today now here we are, the bouncing, uh, my burial, the passing through the burial brings the resurrection, right? 
So truly I tell you, whenever the gospel is preached in all the world, what she has done will also be told of me. She understood what was going on. A woman. I love that part. <laughs> I just do. <laughs> Jesus was the biggest redeemer, uh, liberator of women ever to ever walk the face of the earth. Jesus has been. Jesus, the, the last ones to see Jesus were women. The first ones for him to come out of the tomb were women. Right? So Jesus is the ultimate liberator. Yeah. We're not above men. We're just beside them. We're, we're equal. We're same usage, same brains, different working, all those kinds of things. But Jesus uses a woman to anoint him. So powerful. That would have been unheard of. Back then, you weren't even as a rabbi. You were have no women around you. You weren't allowed. And Jesus traveled with women. They funded his, his, uh, his missionary, missionary trips. They funded him. Uh, you've heard Kevin teach on it. They lived outside of the city, and they funded him. They funded the, funded the, the apostles. You have all of the um, Ananias and Sapphira, or um, then you have Phoebe. You have Junia, an apostle. You have all these women coming out and being made like like liberated and that was by Jesus and he has a woman anoint him with oil so I want to encourage you I want to encourage you it may not be so fun message uh, I wanted to encourage you because I think truthfully we want to finish well in this life we don't want to keep making the same mistakes we don't want to take lefts when we're supposed to go right we don't want to lie and the lefts and the mis, mis turns are not the issue it's the lying in, in the wrong situation for, the, for too long of a time. It's, it's the forgetting the Lord. It's getting distracted. And so I really want the Lord to bring you into anointing. I want you to be, feel like you actually are anointed for good works, right? You're supposed to be anointed for good works. You are supposed to be anointed for good works. So if you would stand, I just want to pray for you. I want to pray over you. I want to pray Ephesians 1. I just want to take a couple minutes and just release over you. You hear messages over and over all the time. And you may be like, there's some stuff that's like ice cream and there's other stuff that tastes like, like peas and you don't like peas. <laughs> you don't. But if you don't learn to like the peas, you can't go where Jesus wants to take you because he has purpose for your life. He wants to reward you. He wants you to bring others into the kingdom. He wants you to be a reflection of who he is. You are his ambassador. You are an ambassador of Christ, whether you feel like it or not. You are a minister of the new covenant. You don't feel like it. It doesn't matter. You still are. On your worst days, and most of the time, it's our worst days. We're never, ever, we have maybe one every three months where I actually feel like I'm doing it in my faith. The rest of the time, I feel like I'm slogging along like the rest of people, you know, that I'm, I'm having to push myself forward. And so I want to encourage you that you would push through the trials and the tribulations and the testings of your faith, that the purpose of perseverance that produces the character would come forth from your life. Right? That's what James says. I want you to have that. I don't want you to just try to get yourself together. I want you to get yourself together. <laughs> Jesus wants you to help others lead other people to water. Uh, other people to freedom. Jesus came to set the captives free. He came to liberate the prisoners, those that have been held bondage for generations. Jesus wants to do that for you, and he wants to do that for others. 
And so I just want to pray over you. Um, in um, Ephesians 1, it says, For this reason, ever since I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped going, giving thanks for you and remembering you in the prayers. That the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in your knowledge of him. So I want to pray for you right now. Father, I pray, God, that as you say in your word, I pray for the eyes of their heart would be enlightened, that they would know each person here would know the hope of your calling. I pray, Father, for fresh revelation. The most common healing, Jesus, was eyes to see and ears to hear. The most natural, the most, the most common physical healing was opening up blind eyes and deaf ears. And so, Lord, you open spiritual eyes and deaf ears all the time. And so, I, Father, I pray for every single person in this room. I pray that their understanding would awaken, that the spirit man or woman would come alive in them, and they would begin to see the hopeful calling of their future. They would see that they make a difference. They would see that they have a purpose, that it's a hopeful future, and that they would enlist in all the plans and become your, um, a slave to Christ, a slave to righteousness. I pray, Father, that the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, all of the fullness, the riches without measure, fullness, not measured, but fullness of your glorious inheritance their value, their identity, how you see them, how they see themselves, and how they see the world around them. I pray, Father, that that would be awakened for them, that they would be, they would know there's a robe on their finger, or there's a robe on their back, there's a ring on their finger, and there's a table in the presence of their enemies, and they would know, God, that you have inheritance for them. You have possession you have a kingdom to acquire in this life for them. You have dominion and authority to come, come forth from their life. I pray that now, Father. I pray they would not see themselves as something small or insignificant, and they would see themselves as you see them, Father. They would see themselves as a treasured vessel, as one beloved of the Father, one dear Lord, they would see themselves as all that they, you have is theirs and all that you are is theirs as well. And they would come into that, Father. I pray, Father, that they would arise. Lord, you say in Revelation that the cowardly will not inherit the kingdom. So, Lord, I pray that the cowardly, whatever it is that's come upon them, you say in your word you have not given a spirit of fear but of power, love, and a sound mind. And, God, that fear was never from you. And so, Lord, where people in this room have held back themselves because of a fear of God's wrath or a fear of not being accepted or a fear of not measuring up or ever being good enough, Lord, I pray, Father, for freedom to them today. I pray that the eyes of their understanding and their heart and their ears would open and they would know the breadth and the height and the depth of your love, Lord. The inheritance, the glorious inheritance of the saints, how good you are how you sit us at a table in the presence of our enemies and we're yours. We're your sons and we're daughters, if we choose to be, of a father who owns it all. 
and we can use it for your purposes. I pray, Father, you would bless them. As their soul prospers, I pray they would prosper. And I pray for the surpassing greatness of your power to us who believes that it would come upon their lives. Lord, there's four different ways of power, dunamis and a couple different ones, um, and kratos. And Lord, I pray, Father, that your power to do great works, dominion power, which is kratos, would come upon their lives. And they would realize that there's much to be done and they have to start somewhere. They would not despise their small beginnings, even if it's just getting themselves together. Lord, I pray divine understanding to the value of each person in this room for the purposes of your kingdom and, and your relationship with them. They're not just workers, they're sons and daughters with inheritance. I pray that now. In the name of Jesus, I pray for the ruling and power, all authority, power, and dominion to come forth. And God, you would make them the head and not the tail. You would make them above and not below. You would fill them with joy, peace, and your love, which is the three evidences, or righteousness, peace, and love, the three evidences of the Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, that would become. If there's somebody in this room that needs a transformation, they become very weary and very discouraged. Lord, I pray right now for an encounter with you that they would put away that false thinking, they would put away that wrong thinking, that distorted earthly thinking, that lying thinking, the lies, and they would see themselves fresh. Lord, you can change a person in a moment, and so I pray right now for fresh change. I pray right now for fresh change in your people's lives. I pray for fresh starts, but I pray, Father, that they would not go to the, what is it, the, um, they would not be sidetracked, the pitfalls would not come forward. If they're in a pitfall, you would rescue them and they would reveal the scheme of the enemy and they would not fall in the fowler's net. Father, they would be delivered. I pray, Father, for that as well. You would help your people, Lord. You are such a good God. Let's just worship him. Lord, you are such a good God. We thank you, Lord, for everything you're doing in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for your anointing, and we ask you to fill us fresh, Lord. Come upon us, Holy Spirit, and renew us. Renew us from the inside out. Use us as your, as your mighty uh, men and women of God, Lord. Use us for your purposes, Jesus. We love you. Amen. 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 All right, I talked your ear off. All right. All right. God bless you. Life groups. Don't forget.